Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, my good friend Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Boy, we are just getting the nicest stuff November. You know, and it we get some sun in November. And I just as a kid growing up, November meant no sun. <laughs> and snow. They, yeah, they could have just named it no sun sunburn because it just <laughs> and so it's always nice i think when we get some sun in there because boy it sure bright this i've been out for a walk and i hollered down in front i yelled because there were some canada geese flying out of the field in front of me but <laughs> they paid me no mind even though they were covered in down uh it was a genial fall day that's i love those and the festival of falling leaves is kind of coming into the home stretch and the leafless trees they add a a lovely homeliness to the landscape as they watch us change into flannel shirts. And every cornfield I see now is a food plot for deer. Mm. Uh, back on, boy, the first day of this month, I think, November 1st, I saw fields being used by deer, wild turkeys, sandhill cranes, and trumpeter swans. I shouldn't say fields. I saw a field being used by deer, wild turkeys, mm -hmm. sandhill cranes, and trumpeter swans all out there at the same time. I watched a bald eagle feed on a road-killed uh, raccoon, and the crows nearby, they were just, it looked like and sounded as if they were cheering, but I know they were jeering. <laughs> uh, I'm an on-demand bird feeder. So I get out there, and when there's enough birds out there that I can tell they're yelling about something, I go out there. I scattered millet seed on the ground for our native sparrows like juncos, white-throated sparrows, fox sparrows, Lincoln sparrows, and white-crowned sparrows. And I relished their presence, but possums are nice, too. There were four young ones in the yard also eating under the feeders and the spilled uh, seed. Uh, they were named Pogo, Gopo, Opgo, and Ogpo. And how did I know their names? Well, they were wearing name tags. So they were apparently just came from a meeting. But possums are nocturnal. So why am I seeing them out there? Yeah, yeah. they should be spending the day in dens or protected spots. But they're active at any time of the day, especially when food is scarce. So when they're hungry, they're out there. And I think the young ones probably more so than the older ones. But I hear them going bump in the night. They come up on our deck and drink water, and they seem to trip over things or something. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing out there. I, I look in the morning, expect everything to be demolished, but it's not. I was, uh, oh, American tree sparrows. I'm seeing a bunch of those now, and they're present from a bunch. I'm seeing a few. Are they they're on the move now or something, or why are you seeing them? Particularly? Yeah, they're present here from early November, and then we'll see them through probably early April. Oh. And they usually arrive and depart with the juncos. They uh, remind a lot of folks of chipping sparrows. Chipping sparrows spend early April through October here with us. Uh, the chipping sparrow is a real common LBJ, little brown job, or LBB, little brown bird, in our yards. And there was a noted 19th century ornithologist named Edward Forbush, and he called the chipping sparrow the little brown-capped 
pensioner of the dooryard and lawn <laughs> that comes about farmhouse doors to glean crumbs shaken from the tablecloth by thrifty housewives. And its song is a dry, fast, high-pitched trill of chip notes that gives a bird its name and is sometimes mistaken for the sound of insects. And the chipper is a dapper little sparrow, handsome and tame, and it's been called a hair sparrow by some due to its habit of lining its nest with hair. And that was particularly true back when there were so many horses on the roads. I was also happy to see some red belly snakes this fall. It's Minnesota's smallest snake. You know, it's about the size of a nightcrawler. Some say what's really? the size of a pencil, huh. but yeah, I don't know. Where do Sometimes... you find them? I, I don't believe I've ever seen one. You know, and I'm an avid gardener, so I would think I would have run across them at least. Yeah, they're out there. They're, uh, I can describe them. They're, again, the size of a nightcrawler, hmm. but then they have bright red or pink and even sometimes orange and uh, I don't know that I've seen a yellow one, but I've certainly heard from folks seeing yellow uh, for a belly. Huh. And they uh, they will play dead, apparently, <laughs> on occasions. Uh, most of the ones I picked up have been pretty calm, I guess. Uh, I've heard it called a fire snake. Now, wh- where does that come from, fire snake? Well, they when I was a kid, I heard that people would gather up firewood, and sometimes these little guys were in the bark, and they'd oh. throw them in the fire, and then the snake would come crawling out. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or if it's because of that bright red color. Yeah. They feed on slugs, snails, and earthworms, and they're found where they're found, Karen, would be, oh, I see them in the woods oh. or sandy areas, and they're near sources of water, you and know, they're just... We have, we have so much clay. I bet that that's why, because we don't have a lot of sandy soil. So if they like that, that may be my reason why not. I don't see them. I just see mainly the garters around my yard. Oh, I, these are ones I used to take to school. Oh. <laughs> I was a kid, you know. I just It was so cool to have a snake. And we were always real careful, let them go, kind of in the same place we found them. Uh, for yellow jackets, I saw a yellow jacket yesterday. Uh, hmm. Slow moving, but still out there. This time of year, it's every female for herself. The workers die and the queens survive. I saw a meadow hawk. I can't remember what day it was, but within a week. It's a relatively tame dragonfly that flies into the fall. And I'm not sure of its flight speed, but dragonflies have been clocked at 35 miles an hour. And a biologist at the University of California, Davis, her name was Rachel, or is Rachel Crane, said that dragonflies catch up to 95% of the prey they pursue. Hmm. And boy, that's a rate that's just wildly high compared to other predators. And on the subject of yellow, the wild asparagus is turning a lovely yellow. Mm. And wild asparagus, is it just wild and crazy and running around the the (laughs) ditches? No, wild asparagus is the same species as the asparagus that we cultivate in our yards. Really? But it has escaped into uncultivated area where it persists. So I'm always happy to see that. Uh, I saw some people flagging them the other day. So some asparagus eaters were putting little yellow flags by them. And seeing it causes me to imagine what the sound of the color of asparagus yellow would sound like. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, Kent Gernander of Rushford sent me something from uh, National Public Radio, and Roger Davidson sent me something from the Washington Post. They were the first two, and then I got a an avalanche of those, including one from Karen Wright. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's, you know, they're changing names. They're hard. I talked to a young person that they're having a baby, and they they both want to keep their names, but they don't want to hyphen it, hyphenate it. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking of coming up with a completely different last name, uh, maybe bringing a little bit of the sounds of their names into it, maybe not. So there, you can all, I, I can't imagine what that whole process would be. You'd have to have the balance sheet, pros and cons, and you'd have yellow legal pads filled with it. So there, uh, I, I wished them good luck, I guess. They, I, I reminded them that Alan was a beautiful name. Or a baby boy, and other than that, <laughs> the last name was certainly up to them. Well, I had one of my former students who got married. Her last name was Webb, and his name was Ebel. So what do you suppose their married name is? Webble? <laughs> well, that would have been a good one. No, it's Brant. Oh, they, they, I wouldn't, they wouldn't com- have guessed that one. No, they just completely picked a new name that they both liked and said, well, we, we're, we're not going to combine them. We're just going to come up, and th- now they're a completely new name. And so it was a, really a, a shock for a lot of people when at the wedding the uh, minister said, and now I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Brandt. And we're like, what? So anyway, it happens. I think that's going to be a thing because how many <laughs> times can we hyphenate a name? Right. You know, every time you add somebody, you got to add another hyphen. Well, this... This is about birds, and they're, after two long years of discussion and debate, the American Ornithological Society has announced it will remove names given to North American birds in honor of people, so the honorific titles will be gone, and they'll replace them with monikers that better describe their plumage and other characteristics. So the group said it will prioritize birds whose names trace to enslavers, white supremacists, uh, robbers of indigenous graves. And among them is one of the most famous birders in U.S. history, probably the most famous, John James Audubon. Uh, There is power in a name, and some English bird names have associations with the past that continue to be exclusionary and harmful today, said Colleen Handel, who is the um, AOS Society's president. And she said, we need a much more inclusive and engaging scientific <clears throat> process that focuses attention on the unique features and beauty of the birds themselves. And Sometimes next year, the society is expected to appoint a committee to explore up to 80 new names. So some are Audubon's. I'll be uh, see. I see Stellar's Jays every year, and I, I'm just trying to figure out what their name might be now. So it's became kind of a fun game for me to figure out well, what were they going to call that one. Because some of them, I'll be honest, I've looked at through the years and said, you know, they could do a better job naming that (laughs) than throwing a person's name. The thing with some of those, their name for people that never even saw the bird. They had really nothing to do with it. So they just named it for a friend. I 
I think Lady Blackburn, if I'm not mistaken, got the Blackburnian Warbler's name for her. I don't know if she ever saw one or was interested in them, or I, I have no idea. See, I, so assume, I assume that it was probably somebody who discovered the bird or something that they'd probably name it after, but if they just named not it... Not always. Oh. No, okay. Audubon named quite a few after that. Bonaparte's gull was hmm. uh, named for uh, somebody he knew, so he was naming things. He uh, named incorrectly sometimes. He named the Washington Eagle... And uh, it wasn't, it was a young bald eagle, but when he first saw it, you know, they had, Hmm. uh, they did remarkably well on describing these birds and identify them because they, you know, they didn't have the Google. They couldn't (laughs) go to the Google and say, oh, yeah, Yeah. that's not a Washington eagle, that's a young bald eagle. So that was his big gaffe, I guess, that people bring up. But there, uh, again, there is power in a name, and uh, I, I'm sure when uh, my family came to this country and our ancestors and our pioneers, they named all the birds, and the Native Americans living here already had names for those birds, and were saying, you know, that's, that's not the right name. It's got to be this name. So a lot of these birds have had their names changed probably a number of times and you know what they still aren't going to come when we call them <laughs> so that's that's the biggest thing but i am uh, it's going to be a hassle for a lot of folks cuz we've learned all these birds by that name and then we're going to say oh gosh what is the name of that one now but i think it's i'm just really excited and interested in what they're going to name all these birds. I just think that's going to be so cool. You know, we're all going to have to get new bird guides, too, to, to make it so they work. You know, maybe it's a marketing thing, too. Hey, we're going to sell more bird guides or something. And I thought that for many years, why they rename birds every so often. is <laughs> just so that we have to buy a new field guide. So you And uh, that's good because they do get... And if we use them a lot, they kind of wear out, so it's not a bad deal. You but. know, speaking of changing names, my uh, mom's side of the family, uh, when they came, I guess, to the, the U.S. from Sweden, uh, they were Peterson, but they decided there was too many Petersons, so they changed their name to Armstrong because there weren't as many Armstrongs. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. Oh, there's too many of them, so let's change our name. So who knows why people change names? Yeah, my wife's family came here. They were the Christoffersons. Ah. And it was the same kind of deal. The people there said, "Too many." We have so many Christoffersons. <laughs> Where are you from? And they were from uh, somewhere in Norway called Rugroden. Uh, there was more to it, <clears throat> but they uh, they became the Rugrodens. Oh well, that's different then. Yeah. Yeah, it had to be really different when you right. come there and you say, well, <laughs> apparently we're not the Christoffersons anymore. Now we're something called the Rugrodens. They say, no, well, that's where we're from. Well, we're not going back, but we are uh, we're bringing it here. Uh, a friend, Brian Smith. Uh, Brian is a, uh, I think Brian is a full-time birder. He's out there every day looking at stuff. Great guy. He saw a sanderling, a long-billed dowager, bared sandpiper, and leased sandpiper at the Sleepy Eye water treatment plant, or water at the ponds. He also saw a Ross's goose on Roy's Lake in Lesseur County. And I, I have that feeling I should know exactly where Roy's Lake is, but boy, 
I'm going to have to look it up. I sure don't. Hmm. Uh, Chad Hines saw an orange-crowned warbler in Blue Earth County. There's always some stragglers going through. A listener sent a text says, do, do Canada geese mate for life? Um, they do unless they discuss politics. Oh. And then it's just not, not going to work out. And a classroom sent a thing, said, can some insects really taste with their feet? Uh, yes, and it makes a real mess in a pizza parlor. <laughs> they come in there and they're walking through all the pies. Uh, butterflies, flies, bees, 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 wasps, and many others have taste receptors on their feet and legs. So they're able to do that. A uh, listener said, all my life, Al, I've been told that skunks cannot spray when their feet are off the ground. Is that true? And and I've heard a lot of times where people say skunks cannot spray unless they can hold their tail up. Hmm. So people say hold their tail down. And <laughs> there's some naturalists that believe those are true, but I'm not willing to test those myself. So I'm not going to go out and grab a skunk and say, well, that that was wrong. I will answer with this. It's from the University of Nebraska Extension. It says the following points contradict the more common myths. Skunks can spray whether their feet are on the ground or not. Mm. So, yeah, and I don't recommend you, you know. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to go out and grab a skunk by the tail. Uh, skunks do not disperse their spray by shaking their tail. And a covered trap does not prevent skunks from spraying. It only reduces the likelihood. Oh. I have used live traps a couple of times and covered them and not got sprayed. So then, I, you know, when something works for you, like you find a good recipe, what do you do? You pass it on to others. So a friend, Danny <laughs> Steele, uh, we were uh, worked together at the Freeborn County Fair, and he said he caught a skunk. He didn't know what to do with it. And I told him, you know, put a rug or something around and carry it. And he said, it really works. I said, boy, it has for me. And he said, you want to come out and help me? I said, no, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> so he's carrying it away, and it's all going good, and it slipped out of his hands. Uh -oh. uh, it hit the ground, and the skunk sprayed him. Uh-oh. <laughs> so he told me all about that. And I said, well, you know, it still could have worked if you weren't such butterfingers. <laughs> it would have worked okay, so. So I, I still think that works, but like the uh, University of Nebraska said, it reduces the likelihood of being sprayed. And so, it probably reduces the likelihood if it's covered of getting all over you, so maybe you wouldn't stink as long then. Yep, yep. He, uh, of course, he's a man, Danny, so uh, <laughs> no man. You know, when it comes to colds, nobody has a cold like a man. So right. when you get sprayed by a skunk, nobody ever has been sprayed like a like that person has by a skunk. It's it's the man way. That's the way we, <laughs> we do things. Um, what insect lives the longest? You know, I watched a PBS thing some years ago about termites, and they said a termite queen li can live for 50 years. Whoa. And that some scientists believe that some can live for 100 years. 
So I'm going to take a wild stab. I can't imagine an insect living longer than that. You know, mm. around here it'd probably be the cicadas, 17 year. Well, we don't get 17 here. Right. Uh, where do they come? Southern Iowa maybe gets a little bit, like Illinois. Those would be the longest of 17 year cicadas. The same listener also said, what is the world's largest insect? I uh, I know that one. It's a Chinese stick insect. It's two feet long. Wow. And no thicker than maybe a forefinger. And, you know, I think I also know the heaviest one. I believe it's a Goliath beetle. And I want to say it's the oh, Royal. There's another part of the name. Maybe Royal Goliath beetle. And that's in Africa. And that weighs about the same weight as a blue jay. So it would oh, wow. be three and a half ounces or so. Okay. And there's about 400,000 beetle species known to science. And that's around a, a quarter of all the known animals. And there's countless more than that to still be identified. So... If you still want to get a chance uh, at an honorific title <laughs> on a beetle, I think maybe you could go out there and if you've been behaving yourself, you can go out there and maybe grab a beetle. <laughs> and if it's a new beetle, you can still get it. And it might be the Karen Wright beetle. <laughs> right. So that would be pretty cool. I, I always thought that'd be cool to have a name on a beetle. I, uh, Chad Hines, who is a spider guy at Bethany, he was thinking, you know, it'd be pretty cool to, to get a spider that maybe you could name. And who knows who he'd name it after, but I don't know. That'd be the Chad Hines spider. But, uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So if you're, again, if you're behaving and everything, well, why wouldn't you? Could be the, the the bat beetle. I don't know how that the sounds. The bat beetle. The black bat beetle. It'd be, a you know, one yeah. of those nice big dung beetle type things. Yeah. Beetles are so cool. They just I, every, you know, the multicolored Asian lady beetles are driving me nuts yeah. on these warm days because they're all out moving around. But beetles are just, they're so amazing just to watch them. And uh, I love seeing uh, beetles all summer long. Uh, they're just always up to interesting things. And I, I really, there's ground beetles that are run fast and are great hunters and it's just a joy to spend time in their company. Now, um, are the box elder bugs, are they beetles? And where have they been all summer? Now, all of a sudden, they're all on the south side of my house on the windows where I didn't see them all summer. So I'm just curious. Yeah, aren't they amazing how they just show up? And I, they get in the house, and I, I let them outside. I just, I like them. They don't bother me, really. They just, uh, they drive the, the cat to she really likes them, and she chases them around. And they are uh, called, oh, I heard somebody call it a box beetle the other day. Oh. I don't know if I'd ever heard that before. But they are actually a species of true bugs. Oh, okay. And so they'd be in, uh, who else would be in that family? Stink bugs, we hear about them a mm -hmm. lot. So stink bugs are one that uh, there's some stink bugs that nobody wants having around. Uh, cicadas would probably be in that family. So they're insects with piercing and sucking mouth parts. So they're a little different than the, the rest of them. But, I, you know, they're a relatively harmless insect, and it's 
they're named after the main food source, the box elder tree, although they'll, they'll feed on maple trees, and I, I believe on ash trees and maybe some other ones. And they go through three stages, egg, nymph, and adult, and they look really different at the, the nymph and adult at the various different developmental stages. What do they look like? Because I know earlier this spring I saw a whole bunch of little teeny red bugs that were... Yep. Where, was that probably them? Yep. The oh. nymphs are really small. Yeah. start out really small and grow, and they're almost entirely red, and their torsos yeah. are uncovered, and they're shaped like long ovals. They yeah. have six legs, and the two antennas per protrude from their small heads and they're just really neat and sometimes you'll see just a I saw by a shed one corner of the shed there was just a, I don't know a bazillion of them of these uh, nymphs so it it was neat to see them I well, had a nice talk they were good <laughs> listeners and. I almost had a heart attack though this was earlier this summer when I saw a whole bunch of them I was worried that it was the lily beetle which are very very disastrous if you have a lot of lilies which I do and then I, I looked at them again, and then I looked it up, and I think it was the box elder instead of the lily beetle, because the lily beetles, they're all bright red, too. And you see those, do you, the lily beetles? Or I have not, not yet, but I know they're in the state of good. Minnesota up in the Twin Cities area, because I've you know, heard others from the Lily Society talking about them, and they really just devastate your, your lily plants. So I'm hoping that we don't get them down here. Yeah, I, I t- was at some kind of... Um, program or course or seminars and it seems like they call them scarlet lily beetles they're really bright red just i mean oh my gosh almost glowing yeah yeah they're really pretty though but they're really not very nice to have if you have certain plants that's for sure and everybody that does those programs they preface it by saying have you seen a more beautiful insect (laughs) than this one and gets everybody going oh that's amazing and then they tell us what it's doing and then we just we're all crushed so yeah. they build them up and knock them down hey thanks everybody for sitting on the front porch with us as karen mentioned box elder bugs there were so many box elder bugs i i felt sorry for their frazzled family genealogists uh, these insects apparently are bible reading bugs because in genesis it says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth <laughs> and boy they're doing it right now right then the bugs were concentrating on covering the south side of my house location location <laughs> location and i understand that i'm the same age as everyone else who is my age but years ago when i wasn't I was featured in a Smithsonian Magazine article, which was a mighty cool thing and meant that it had been an incredibly slow month for anything (laughs) interesting. And a talented Massachusetts writer shadowed me for a couple of days and then befitting my image as a hayseed, a photographer flew in from New York City and attempted to make me look good by posing me against a red barn. (laughs) And our barn wasn't barnish enough. Oh, no. He needed one that looked more like a real barn. I said, well, it is a real barn. No, it's just not right. (laughs) We must have looked at a dozen barns to find one willing to dance with a hick of my caliber. (laughs) But I learned for everything. It's location, location, location. 
Thanks again, everyone. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And remember Heartland as well. We're driving past. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Well, thank you, Al. Appreciate it as always. And uh, happy rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.